I got a sale alert for you here, Rory. I'm interested. Just in time for puck drop, tip-off, and October baseball, Sportsnet Now is having a sale on its annual pass. Rory, will you be watching October baseball despite the fact our beloved Red Sox are not in the Derby? It's too bad they're not there, but yes, I'm going to be watching. And you know why? I want to see how quickly the New York Yankees get eliminated. (laughs) Well, if you want to see if the Yankees do, in fact, get heaved over the top rope, then subscribe to SN Now. Stream more than 500 NHL games this season, blackout free, including the Stanley Cup playoffs. Plus, stream the 2019 NBA champion Raptors, the MLB postseason, minus the Red Sox, your favorite Sportsnet original shows, and much more. You can save 20% until October 15th. Visit snnow.ca for more details. Under four to go, Devils trail. Six to two, Boquist to the blue line for Subban. Looks around, lost control. Here comes Reinhardt, he's on a breakaway. Reinhardt moves in, backhand scores. Here's Zibanejad with Kako. Zibanejad pulls back and scores! Mika Zibanejad with a hat-trick! A shorthanded goal, and it's 3-1 Rangers! Larkin won it. Moroni across Mendes. Scores! Four goals! Anthony Mantha, four. The Dallas Stars, three. 24 times a player scored four more goals. The last five by Johan Bronson. And that is going to do it here. Game number one at home for the San Jose Sharks, and they end up on the wrong end, dropping a second straight game to the 2-0 Vegas Golden Knight. Nice to score in front of your home fans when you play a shitty game, and uh, they waited a long time to watch us play, so very, very disappointing, and I'm disappointed for, for them to show up and waste their time and money to watch that. Welcome to Tape to Tape, Rory. I'm going to start this episode by living up to the worst stereotypes of the media and get negative. Right off the top. Yes. Are you ready? I'm ready for negativity. Well, we are obviously going to take a look all around this very, very, very fledgling NHL season. There's lots of intriguing things going on. We're going to bring Mark Spector on to... Uh, for our Subway Overtime segment to talk about the Edmonton Oilers and a little bit about the Vancouver Canucks as well. We obviously both have our own observations about hot starts from Mika Zibanejad and the Buffalo Sabres looking okay. But I feel like the more intriguing storylines, the ones I'm more ready to sink my teeth into early on, kind of go towards the question of, is there a real problem here already? And the two places I'm thinking of are Winnipeg and San Jose. So let's set the Jets aside. We've talked a lot about the Jets on this pod, but I really think it merits what's going on there, merits more conversation. So we'll save that for the last segment, but we're going to start with San Jose. As I said in my weekend takeaways, this is a benefit of the doubt organization. If ever there was one, they probably have as much street cred as you can get without actually winning the Stanley cup. (laughs) But things have not started. Well, they got pumped in Vegas. They got pumped by Vegas at home. 
lost on the road on Saturday night in Anaheim. Logan Couture, the new captain, replacing the departed Joe Pavelski, who was widely admired and really respected, as is Couture. And Couture was straight with them, uh, straight with the media, straight with everyone after they got whooped in the home opener and said, basically, I'm, I feel bad for the fans because they wasted their time and money on this. Mm-hmm. There's been goaltending questions there for a while. Mm-hmm. When you look at the fact there could be some on-the-rise teams, maybe in the Pacific, in a Vancouver, in an Arizona, which, granted, neither one of those teams has a win as we record this on Tuesday afternoon. But do you think there's a chance the Sharks could be in a little trouble this year. There's a chance, but I've kind of always thought, I think I had them third in the Pacific division on the prediction show. So there is that built in sort of worry, but it it was to do with the goaltending, which was already last in the league last year and they still made it in. So that's a good thing. I guess you can make it in with terrible goaltending. Maybe you can do it again. I don't believe that goaltending is going to rebound to any significant degree. It's going to maintain uh, being a problem. I'm not too worried at this point this early because the offense hasn't started to go yet. Like guys are going to score. Miko uh, or sorry, Timo Meyer is going to score. Logan Couture is probably off to the best start. He's going to score a little bit more. Carlson's going to get going. Red Burns, Hurdle. Like, uh, there's all these guys that have not started to score yet, and it is going to start coming for them. I still see a huge breakout coming for Timo Meyer specifically. So, in that regard, I'm not pulling the alarm yet, worried. But if the offense slows to maybe they're. 15th in the league or something like that. Can that overcome the goaltending? Then the goaltending comes into focus a little bit more. So uh, I'm definitely not sold on them being a 100% guaranteed playoff team. And it's just this bad start against divisional foes, by the way, is a little bit concerning. And then if you look at their schedule, I mean, they play three home games the rest of the month of October. Their next stretch of games are in Nashville in Chicago and that at home against Calgary, Carolina and Buffalo on the road against Buffalo and then on the road against Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa and Boston. Like there are some really good teams in there and most of them on the road. San Jose could just come out of this month looking really bad and then the alarms are going to start getting pulled. Well, the Dallas Stars and Owen three team have a rough sked as well. A lot of road games in October, but just to prove we're not complete worry warts. You're not too concerned by anything there. I mean, as I was saying before we got rolling here, you know, you bring the summer storyline into the early season results. That's the lens you see things through. And Dallas had such a good off season. And obviously, you know, was a team that was a goal away from going to the conference final last year. So I get the sense that you expect things to turn around there pretty quickly. I do. Yeah. I mean, that loss to Detroit wasn't too inspiring, sure. but again, like there's probably going to be a little bit of a chemistry finding process with Joe Pavelski on that new line. I think Rope Hins has looked good and he's the breakout guy on this team. I think it's going to come. I don't see a way that Jamie Ben doesn't have a better year than he did last year. You know, it was just, you had the, the horse bleep thing in December Tyler Sagan responded to that and was great in the second half. Jamie Ben absolutely was not, but he's too good, right? He's too good for that. I think he's going to come back. So I just, 
they were a team last year that was built so much on defense and the goals just never came, but they were one of the better shutdown teams in the league with elite goaltending and all that stuff. So they have that base. And when you have that base, it's a great place to then start from. And now it's just with the addition of Pavelski, that team was transformed in the playoffs when Zuccarello was, was making them have a secondary scoring line. That'll happen with Pavelski too. And that's why I just see with the defensive base they have, the goals are destined to come up. They could actually rise to 15th in the league. And that would be a huge development for the Dallas stars. And then you would be talking about them possibly challenging for the division. I think it's just a matter of time before it comes for that team. There's no question about it. They're closer to me actually for a playoff lock than San Jose would be. You think so? I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, I get like you forget how close they were to knocking off the blues last yeah. year and how much better they were down the stretch. And they did some of that down the stretch without Zuccarello broke his arm two games yeah. after coming over in the trade. Right. So I just, there's going to be more development there. I feel better about Dallas, even though they're in a much tougher division from top to bottom. I like too much about that team. We haven't even talked about the defense, which is loaded. Like Miro Heiskanen is going to be better than he was last yeah. year. I have to imagine. So John Klingberg could be a Norris finalist. You know, I, there's so much to like, who knows what we get from Andre Sekera. Corey Perry hasn't played yet. Like low bets, but I think they could potentially pay off in some way. And that gives you more depth. I feel very confident in Dallas still. Well, speaking of on the rise, Mika Zibanejad career best 30 goals last year, with the Rangers, that came on the heels of 27 in New York. And if you look at it, ever since he went to the Rangers, his first season there uh, was cut short by injury. But uh, especially in year two and three with the blue shirts, you know, he has developed into quite a quality player. But now we're looking at this guy and wondering, is he going to a whole other level as a true number one Center. He has four goals in his first two games mm-hmm. off the hop, including what had to be a satisfying hat trick at Ottawa, the team that, of course, drafted mm-hmm. him and subsequently, somewhat regretfully, I suppose, traded him to yeah, uh, sure. to the Rangers. But when you think about the Rangers, you think of Truba coming in, Panarin coming in, even yeah. Adam Fox to a lesser degree. Think about yeah. the guys who weren't with the organization last year. And you kind of forget about the progress, the internal gains. And he's a, an interesting candidate at still 26 years old to maybe break even more new ground this year. Yeah, I wasn't sold on at the end of last year, Zabanajad being a guy who was going to maintain that level. I thought that was probably his career year. And it's not that he'll be bad, but I don't know if he's a 70 point guy, you know, mm-hmm. but Panarin really changes how you have to look at that because Panarin, even though he's playing from the wing and you usually hear about this uh, for centers, like he controls the offense so well and makes his line mates so, so much better. Like he was a huge influence on Dubois and Atkinson having great years with Columbus. And now he's going to have that effect on Zibanejad. So if if Zibanejad was going to not collapse, but, fall off a little bit in his production having Panarin on his wing is a massive game changer for that and now it becomes very realistic that he could approach those or pass those totals from 2018-19 again and it also probably lifts up the right winger on that line Pavel Buknevich who kind of been looking for a little bit of a bust out from him like a little bit of a step up from him to becoming even a second line player and and maybe he's able to take that step I wonder if Capo Caco ends up on that line at some point too um, we'll see how this develops but 
it's a game changer for Zibanejad to have Panarin. So I am buying into him now being able to get back to those totals because of the new winger he's got. If Panarin wasn't there, I wouldn't be looking at him that way. There is a little more intrigue, I think, when a team has surprisingly good results out of the hop when there's a new coach on the yep. scene. That's the case in Buffalo with Ralph Kruger. And there's other changes there. Jeff Skinner's playing on the second line with Marcus Johansson. That spreads things out a little bit. Victor Olofsson so far yeah. has blended well on the top line with Eichel and Sam Reinhardt, who had a great year last year. No one is going to get anywhere uh, near ahead of themselves with the Sabres, especially given uh, the way this team teased last year with the the 10 straight wins yep. in the early portion of the season. But good early returns there on a team that through three games doesn't have a regulation loss. And again, you know, this might have a little bit to do with a new approach coming from a new voice, a new mind behind the bench. We talked about it on last week's show or two weeks ago. I don't remember which one it was now that Kruger is, is the silver lining there in Buffalo. And maybe he's the guy that can finally get it to click because we saw him show signs of that in Edmonton before they let him go for Dallas Aikens. He's just a smart guy. He knows how to work with players. The players like him. He's been in constant communication with elite coaches, even when he's away from the game in Mike Babcock and Ken Hitchcock, you know, like he's a student of the game and so maybe he's able to get it out. I just, I'm reminded of that streak in November last year. And that's why it's really hard to buy in for Buffalo. Like sure. Buffalo for me needs to go a quarter of a season. Give me 20 games of good, solid play. And then I'll start to think about it. Give me a half of a season of good play and then I'll buy in. You know, <laughs> it's, it's going to take a lot because look, like I don't think having Jeff Skinner on that second line is going to stick because he's going to go on a cold streak. And what are you going to do to get him out of that cold streak? You're going to put him back with Jack Eichel and, and try and get him going again. Sam Reinhardt is the guy that I think needs to be on that second line to maybe carry it a to little drive bit. It. Yeah. Um, I mean, he kind of did that last year, right? Like he took a huge step last mm-hmm. year and maybe he can continue to do that at some point. Like, do they still trade Rasmus Ristolainen? And that is going to have a big negative effect on your blue line, depending on what you get back. Of course, is the goaltending going to be good enough? Can they keep pace with Toronto and Boston and Tampa and Montreal and Florida? And I just, I don't see how that's going to be possible. But again, it's coming back to Kruger. Like if there's a guy who's going to be able to get more out of this team, than it looks like they're capable of. It's probably that guy. And all season long, they'll just be this scrappy underdog surprise team that is hanging around. Um, but you need a lot more than three games to convince me that that's the way this is going. Anything else pop out to you, good or bad from the early portion of the season? Tampa Bay getting limited to two shots on goal over the last two periods against Carolina yeah. was just absolutely shocking. I didn't think that was possible. I was wondering what the, I looked at that and thought it must have been just a, a typo or something on the score sheet, but it's true. It actually happened. And I think also, and this was a team that I thought was going to come back. The Anaheim Ducks have looked really good here so far. John Gibson has mm-hmm. been strong. I mean, they just look better than they did last year. They've got some of their kids up. Sam Steele, Isaac Lundestrom was called back up. It's just a matter of of how much staying power is actually there. Because again, when, when it comes to rookies, young guys, 
it's a different challenge going through the grind of an 82 game season and all the travel, especially from the West coast. Right. So we'll see what kind of staying power, but those things have kind of jumped out a little bit at me first. Well, it's funny. You mentioned the Oilers made way for Dallas Eakins by getting rid of Ralph Kruger. Now Eakins Mm -hmm. and Kruger are both back for their second act here in the same season. I'll definitely be keeping an eye on, on Eakins as he, you know, he, there was, partially because he had come up through the Leafs organization. He's, he's, he really is such a, an interesting, innovative guy. There was lots of chatter about him when he finally got that right. head gig, and yep. it ended up swallowing him up, as it did to many others in Edmonton. So I'll be curious to see how he's tweaked his approach and, and what he does with his second chance in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we've flicked at the Oilers a little bit. We're going to dive in. Mark Spector of Sportsnet is going to join us for the Subway Overtime segment. We're going to pick apart what we've seen so far from Edmonton and chat a little bit about those Western clubs. That's coming up on the other side of the break. Oddshark.net is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks. Looking for stats and trends for an upcoming game? Oddshark.net has those too, and it's free. Expert in-depth analysis, stats, and trends to help you make the sharp game day picks. Whether you want to get it on the football action, tonight's hockey game, or anything in between, go to oddshark.net. This is not a gambling site. Here's Finnick. Back to the point. McDavid turns and shoots into a crowd blocked by Hughes' backside and cleared back to center. Now you've got Benick. Drop pass, dry something. McDavid down the middle. Wrist shot. Score! Connor McDavid, just like that, has made it 3 2 Edmonton. 5 23 to play. Welcome to Overtime with Mark Spector. This segment brought to you by Subway. Subway now delivers. No joke. Spec, you are joining us from Blessed's Heart, the dumpiest arena in the NHL, Nassau Coliseum. There's a reason the Islanders are (laughs) happily moving into a a shiny new facility uh, in a couple of years. But I remember when I went there, I was like, okay, wow, this is is something else. Okay, but you got to go back because I felt the same way. And I walked in here today and I don't know when the last time you guys were in there, but they've cleaned this place up quite a bit. That's true. That's seats. true. I would have been there it's before got a that. Nice look to it. It's been painted up. Nice. The exterior has been fixed up. So, you know what, if you just walked in today, you'd say, ah, you know what, this is, it's a little bit small for an NHL rink, but it's quite tidy and fairly modern and it looks pretty nice. You have to be an old timer like us to remember when only like a quarter of the seats would flip back up oh, after man. you got up out of them and they charged you for bottled water in the press box and all of those things. <laughs> and it's a better crowd atmosphere there than it is in Barclays, eh? Hey, listen, it's a fun old hockey joint. I hope the music's not too loud, guys. Uh, I'm sitting in the bowl right now. I'm looking at the banners hanging for Pot Band and Gillies and Trotche and Billy Smith and you know it's a fun place to be today's player is too young to remember any of this stuff you got to be an old sports writer to know that you know to remember the times when coming in this building was a very intimidating place but it's a fun little bit of history and it's almost gone guys we won't be playing many more games here 
So by the time our uh, listeners and viewers see this, the Oilers and Islanders will have clashed on Tuesday night. So, you know, they'll have a little more information than we have right now. But just tell us a little bit about what you saw in the two wins uh, that the Oilers had at home before setting off on this four-game roadie. Well, you know, I think all the teams in the league are doing the same thing. Everybody's got some players that had really good training camps. And everyone says, you know what? Okay, we got a couple guys here made our team, and, and they look great in training camp. But let's see how they look when the real season starts, right? And the Oilers have a handful of those guys. They got a, a new Swede named Joachim Nygaard, real fast, speedy winger, scored a goal. They've got a, a guy out of the Swiss League named Gaetan Haas, set up a goal. Thomas Yurcho, formerly known as Thomas Yurko, uh, been around the league a little bit. He's playing for them. They got a Swedish guy on the fence named Joel Pearson. So the point I'm making is they came through their first two games against similarly disorganized teams, and they won them both. Uh, winning's better than losing, but it doesn't mean that the orders are a powerhouse. <laughs> the guys they've got that they thought were going to help have helped so far, but frankly, they also won two games on the back of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, which is, we're used to that in Edmonton. They're hoping that that changes a little bit and that those guys get some more help this year. As usual, those two guys have been the primary story of the Edmonton Oilers season so far. Specifically, the ice time for Leon Dreisaitl, which both games is up over 26 minutes. Obviously, that's not sustainable. On average, that's fifth in the entire NHL over so many defensemen, which we usually see at the top of that list. Why is he up over 26 minutes, and how do you see them managing that going forward? Well, here's the the exact reason, frankly. Riley Sheehan was brought in here to take some face-offs and kill some penalties for the Edmonton Oilers this year. Free agent pickup, one-year deal, a million bucks, I think. Uh, he was injured uh, with a concussion the first few games. He comes back tonight. So the Oilers are weak with face-off man, guys. Ryan McDavid's not a strong face-off man. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is like career 42%. So in the first two games, they played a game, they had two days off. They played a game, they had two days off. So Leon Dreisaitl became their face-off man in every situation. So that's why he saw a bunch of shorthanded time that he will not see starting tonight. Shane's back in the lineup in uh, Long Island. So the coach basically rode his certainly dry sidle really hard because he's young, because the season's fresh, because they had lots of days off. Don't think that dry sidle's playing 25 minutes a night the rest of the year. Uh, and he responded. I mean, he was good in the circle. He was just an absolute horse. The more he played, the better he was. So, you know, we criticize a team like the Oilers for depending too much on two guys. I totally get that. But when you have two young studs like Dreisaitl and McDavid who are in their you know, 22, 21 years old, absolutely in their prime, they can play that much and they can win the hockey game. Unfortunately for the Oilers, one of the big stories early on has been the injury to Adam Larson. How do you see this impacting things on the blue line for the next couple months, really? Well, it hurts. Every team has their Adam Larson, right? I'm going to say that in Toronto last year, it would have been a guy like Gardner. You know, not that flashy, but ate up a lot of minutes, right? Uh, in Winnipeg, it's a guy like, uh, I'm going to say, Morrissey, right? Uh, everybody has their steady Eddie second pairing, you know, really good, solid defenseman who kills all the penalties, who plays in all the tough situations. And that's what Larson is in Edmonton, right? If you don't watch him every day, you don't appreciate all the things he brings to the table. He's sort of that Swedish 
Jason or, Smith or, or you know, uh, hard rock, tough to play against defensemen. So they'll have to survive it. They'll spread the minutes around to guys who aren't as good at, at that part of the game as he is, and they got to keep the puck out of their zone a little more often. The forwards can help here by making plays at the blue line, not having the long 45-second shift in their zone that Adam Larson can survive, but some of these young guys won't be able to. Uh, it won't be easy. It's two months without a good, solid defensive defenseman. But uh, maybe if you keep the puck in the other team's zone a little bit, you got a chance. Maybe the X factor when it comes to the Oilers staying in the playoff race or making the playoffs is how these goalies do. Saw two games of Mike Smith. Mikko Koskinen will start this Islanders game. How do you see that split going um, as the season goes on? How much does it depend on which of them is hot? And do you think the relationship between Mike Smith and Dave Tippett, who are together in Arizona, is going to be a factor in that workload split? Yeah, I think it was off the start. I think that, that you know, Koskinen was okay in camp. Smith was okay in camp. And Smith got the opening night start because Tippett knows him and trusts him and likes him. So, sure, that's an advantage for Smith to start the season. But I'll be honest with you, neither of these guys is an NHL number one 60-game guy. You know, they need to split. Like the Oilers need both these guys to be good, not just one. Because I don't think one's able to carry the ball if the other guy falters. So there's a little loyalty there. Yeah, I'll give you that. But that loyalty will only last as long as if Koskinen passes Smith by which I don't think he will. But if he did, I think Tippett would be all over it and he'd go right to Koskinen. I'm not bullish on this goaltending tandem, guys. Uh, I don't know if there's enough goaltending for this level of hockey team in front of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, but these are the guys they got, and these are the guys they're going with. You mentioned Tippett. What have you gleaned about his approach? What, uh, you know, what his personal uh, taste might be with the lineup through training camp and a couple games of the regular season? Well, he's a, you know, he's a little bit different. Like they're playing the Barry Trosses club tonight and they roll four lines and every line plays like 13 minutes. And it's a, it's a machine and they keep the puck out of their net. Obviously they led the league in that department last year. So it works for Trotsy. Uh Dave Tippett doesn't have that luxury here. He doesn't have 12 forwards with defined roles, you know, and he's also got a couple of really high end guys that need to play a certain amount. So, He's a real feel guy. I really get the, the, the sense from Dave Tippett that every game goes into with a plan, but he's also ready to change that plan. I think he's ready to, you know, he'd love to be able to have a, a third and fourth line that if they played well and they looked like they had some jump, I think he'd be all over giving them extra ice time and taking a little away from his top end guys uh, because there's going to be even more nights where McDavid is hopping. You know, you can just tell, right? Like, I'm not a coach. You know, but I've watched a lot of hockey. You don't need to be brilliant here to see when Connor McDavid is having one of those nights. And when he is, you got to play him. You know, when Connor McDavid comes out and he goes by defenseman in his first three shifts, you got to play him. You can't just play him 14 minutes. It's, you know, you don't run secretariat a half a mile on those days. You run them the whole race. And so there's going to be days when Drysdale is going to play 24 minutes because that's how good he is. And when McDavid's going to play that much. But there needs to be other days when other lines pick up the slack and those guys get a break. And I sense that Dave Tippett's the kind of coach that's all over that. He's looking for that feel. He doesn't mind changing the game plan. And I think you know, you'll see him really coach a team this year, not just roll lines. So I want to ask you kind of an Edmonton-Calgary crossover question here in regards to the Neal and Lucic trade. 
first of all, from the Edmonton side, how has Neil looked and does it look like he's tracking to maybe get back to that 20 goal level and, and help the Oilers win that trade? And, and when I first saw it, I was wondering, well, all the upside is going to the Oilers in this because if Neil hits, then that's fantastic. And he's probably going to play with that physical game anyway. Lucic, that is what his calling card is, is that physical game. So the other, the other side of this question is how do the Calgary Flames, how do they possibly win this trade? Yeah, it is funny. You know, and I don't want to sound like an Edmonton guy who says, hey, Edmonton got the better deal in this trade, but I feel the same as you, frankly, that they did. Two things here. I mean, Neil had one bad year, one year when he wasn't a 21-goal guy. In that year, when you look at it, there's a lot of factors, right? He'd gone to two consecutive Stanley Cup finals. So the year after that, is he a little tired? Did he have tough time training? I think he could probably make that. I don't think that's an excuse. Is that fair? I think we'd all agree that, Two cups in a row leaves for a pretty tired hockey player. Absolutely. Yeah. Then you watch who he played with in Calgary, right? He never got Sean Monahan. And then he never got Michael Backlund, barely. So he never had the kind of center that a, a trigger man needs. Like, you need James Neal. There's no point having James Neal if you don't have a guy that's going to put on a tee for him. Because that's all he does. He's a shooter, right? Mm-hmm. So he comes to Edmonton. He's playing with Nugent Hopkins off the start of the year here. He's getting power play time on a, you know, with some pretty skilled guys. He's got two goals, scored two power play goals, and I don't see how he can't be furnished with the right type of feeds for him to get up near 20 goals this year. He's in shape. He's healthy. He's not that old. I think he could do that. The other side of the coin is Lucic. You know, Lucic, where Neil has not been himself for one season, and I think we just went through all the mitigating factors, Lucic has lost his game for like two and a half years here, guys. And he's had plenty of opportunity. Like in Edmonton, they wanted it to work big time. And he had a lot of opportunity. He played in every situation. For two and a half years, he's not been that guy. So, you know, he'll be, always be a physical player, but he's a $6 million fourth-line guy, and that's just too much. I get it. Neil's contract's not great either, but I'll take 20 goals over, you know, six fights probably most of the time, won't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Last one for you, Spec. I know the uh, Oilers had their number the night the, the Canucks came through, but uh, what do you see for that team this year? And, uh, you know, there's obviously uh, quite a collection of, of young guys there. They will play their home opener on Wednesday night, still looking for their first win. But when you look into the uh, Pacific Division uh, crystal ball, do you see this as maybe a year Vancouver can really threaten for the playoffs? I'd like to see them hang around. You know, I'd like to see them be there in March, right? Uh, I thought they hung around longer last year than anyone. Certainly, I thought they would. You know, they've really got a nice crop of young, good players there. This Quinn Hughes is going to be fantastic. I think they're asking, like, Vancouver fans, if I'm, if any are watching this thing or listening, uh, don't put too much pressure on a first-year defenseman. Like, he's a very first-year pro here, and he's playing defense every day on a top-four role for the Canucks. There's going to be mistakes here, right? Leon Dreisaitl, for instance, the other night, Quinn Hughes went to check him and ended up on the seat of his pants, and Dreisaitl skated away with the puck. It was a stark lesson on a young, smaller player walking into an NHL situation that he wasn't quite ready for. Uh, great player, just not great yet. You know, Pedersen, Besser, uh, Horvat. You know, the other trick here is Markstrom. Markstrom gave the Canucks two-thirds of an excellent year last season. He was great from December 1st on. The rest of his career, in my eyes, has not been so great. So he's got to be that December 1st goalie. If he is, they got his chance. You know, they've got two-thirds of a team there. 
and they don't have much depth because they're building guys. If they get injuries, the guys filling those injuries aren't as good as, you know, it's quite a drop-off. So there's a nice team there. I think Jimmy Benning has really done a patient, good build. But let's not ask too much too soon. I think if they're hanging around in March within three, four points of that wild card spot, you probably have a pretty successful season in Vancouver. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm probably the same situation as Edmonton, really, right? Sure. It's just Edmonton's been at it way longer. Yeah, and Edmonton hasn't traded away a first-round pick here in the next two years to Tampa Bay for JT Miller. Like, Vancouver kind of put themselves in a spot here where they've got to make the playoffs in the next two years or Tampa Bay's going to get a lottery pick out of it. Well, that's fair. And, and you know, I think that I get it. And trading a first-round pick is scary business, you know, every time. But yeah. adding, you know, adding JT Miller, like Sven Berchi can't make that team now. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's too bad for Sven Berchi, but it's because it's a better team. Yeah. And you can't be sort of a one-dimensional guy and make that Vancouver team anymore. they got a better team there. They've got more defined roles. They've got better veteran players. Uh, they've got a deeper set of forward lines. Their defense is a work in progress. And, again, Markstrom has to prove it again. But there's something there in Vancouver. I think Jimmy Benny's doing a pretty good job. It's, it's coming. I'm just not sure the train's at the station yet. All right, Spec. Well, enjoy your uh, swing through the east, and we'll be talking again to you very soon, I'm sure. All right, boys. Thanks for the call. Thank you. That is Mark Spector of Sportsnet. He is out on the road covering the first road trip of the Edmonton Oilers this season. Stick around for the final segment of Tape to Tape. Sportsnet's weekly NHL newsletter is coming to your inbox this season. Written and produced by me, NHL editor and tape-to-tape co-host Rory Boylan, Sportsnet's NHL newsletter will deliver original content you can't find anywhere else, plus all the most important news, analysis, and videos of the week. My hair is going gray turning this thing out. My pet's heads are falling off, Ryan. Please subscribe to this newsletter. Okay, two questions. If I read this newsletter... Will it tell me how to beat you in the two fantasy pools we're in together? And where do I get it? Yes, it probably will help you beat me in anything that you play against me this year. And you can find it if you sign up now at sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. That's sportsnet.ca slash newsletters to get the most in-depth, exclusive hockey coverage delivered directly to your inbox from me, Rory Boylan. Rory I think all you really need to know about just sort of the, what feels from afar anyways, like a state of disarray in Winnipeg right now is that through three games, we again are recording this before the Jets play in Pittsburgh on Tuesday. The two defensemen who've played the most total minutes for this team right now, Neil Pionk and Mm. Vili Hainola. Amazing. That's crazy. And let's be clear. This is, you know, this has been tough on Winnipeg, obviously. I mean, we still don't really know the details of the Bufflin story. Maybe they weren't completely caught off guard by that, but that was a tough hand. I feel like the thing with the Jets is so much has gone, been handled well there, and they've done such a good job building the team that you now find yourself going, is this a club that for the past couple of years, we just blindly talked about as a team on the rise is it now kind of rocketing back toward earth without seemingly you know like it should still be firmly in the time where we're talking about it going up you know 
there's not many teams out there that would be able to deal with all the losses on the defense Winnipeg has and just be okay and oh roll my with God. and get back to the playoffs. There's no teams. No team. I don't think yeah, there's any right. teams. You're probably right. I mean, going into this game in Pittsburgh on Tuesday, none of the six defensemen dressing will have been regulars on last year's team. That's cr- You wrote the Jets post-draft column, I, if I remember I did. correctly. Did you think Vili Hainola would be in the NHL this year? <laughs> I don't think anyone thought a sub-six-foot, 18-year-old was going to crack the blue line. Exactly. And I don't even think he played a full season in Finland's top league, the Liga, last which, year. Which honestly speaks to... What we were praising the Jets for is like they're one of those teams that finds these guys, right? Like they draft so well. Yes. It's like it feels like Winnipeg has done everything right. So how do we get here? And I mean, they've drafted so well, but most of them are forwards, right? Sure. And that's and that's the issue. And I wonder if we get to a point where they make a trade just to help their defense out because they do have so many forwards. Some guys not even the NHL yet. Some guys like Roslovich who haven't been able to move up that lineup. Well, maybe you can get something for them. Uh, Veselin and same kind of thing. I think the biggest difference, Sean Reynolds, our Jets reporter on the ground there for Sportsnet, wrote a good piece today um, looking at the change in the style of play that's coming from the blue line. And he noted that in years past, some coaches that have come through there, Craig Berube and Ken Hitchcock, he highlights in the piece, talked about how difficult it was against Winnipeg. And he had to pay a price to get to the premium areas in front of the net. And Looking at how they play early this year, it's absolutely not the case. They've allowed the most high-danger goals in the NHL through the first three games. They've allowed the most high-danger shots in the NHL for the first three games. And so the big difference is where you used to have Giants, Tyler Myers and Dustin Bufflin, physical guys like Ben Sherratt, making it so hard to get to those spots. They were really good at getting you to where they wanted you to shoot from. And then Connor Halibut could set up and and make a save and and control it from there. Now you can kind of get through these smaller guys or less experienced guys. And there are a number of examples. We've embedded a couple of gifts in that piece where, yeah, it's these goals Key goals and games are coming because they're beating the defenseman to the puck. They're getting a rebound. They're able to push them out of the way and be the first one to the goalie before the defenseman get there. So that kind of spurred me. I was wondering, well, what kind of danger chances has Connor Halbuck faced in his career? And so I look back at natural stat trick over the last three years, he's faced among the lowest rates of high danger chances per 60 minutes played of any goalie. Last three years combined, he ranks 44th of 53 goalies who qualify playing at least 3,000 minutes. 44th of 53 goalies in high danger, sorry, that's high danger save percentage. High danger chances, he's like middle of the pack. So, you know, they don't face a lot. And when I was trying to find a comparable, like is there a goalie that's faced similar amounts of high danger chances for 60 minutes and a similar save percentage? And this was alarming when I realized who the goalie is. And this is including, by the way, a Vezina finalist season for Connor Halibut. You know who compares best to him? Jake Allen wow. of the St. Louis Blues. And so That's, now... That doesn't warm your heart, does no, it? No, no. And they've paid this guy. And you know what? It is early and you don't want to make these... You don't want to jump to these conclusions no. and everything. But Halibut's had one really good season. And the two that have surrounded that have been kind of meh. I mean, the first one, he... They didn't want to give him the job at the start. Steve Mason had it and, yeah. then he, and he wrestled, you know, and then 
last year was kind of, eh, he was there and he did fine, but he didn't steal games. It wasn't steal. his fault, but he wasn't exactly. fantastic. Exactly. And and you pay a guy like that, he's he's finished as, as a Vezina finalist, you expect him to be able to steal some important games for you, and it just didn't really happen. And so now, using Sean's uh, insight and example there, if they're going to be giving up a lot more of those high-quality chances, and Hellebuck doesn't fare well on those high-quality chances, and you can assume, too, that that's going to lead to more rebound chances... This could be a bit of a problem, and it's also worth noting that in two of the first three games, Winnipeg started back up Laurent Brossois instead of Hellebuck. Hellebuck is getting this start against Pittsburgh, but that is absolutely a storyline worth watching here at the start is who are those starts going to in Winnipeg's net? Definitely felt like a, a bit of a statement anyways that right off the hop that uh, Brossois got that call. So we will see how Hellebuck does, and of course, you know, just when you thought everything that could happen to Winnipeg had already happened. You know, Josh yep. Morrissey goes out and warm up before yep. the, the hometown hockey game against the Islanders on Sunday. Right. I mean, clearly yep. things have just not been breaking the jets way. So who knows? We'll see if, if they get a little good fortune and get feeling better about themselves. Uh, maybe this is something that they can correct before they get buried in that. Yeah. Very, very tough central. Yes. Okay. You, so you got something for me here. This came across my desk this morning. Okay, I did reject it, but I w- with, I, I was going to come back to it because my initial thought was I was scared. This is a fantasy question. All right. So we know Evgeny Malkin is going to miss at least a month. Maybe more. We'll see. I was all in on Malkin this year. I targeted him everywhere. I got him in a couple different pools thinking he's going to go off, and now we've got to deal with this. I got offered Clayton Keller, who's healthy, for Evgeny Malkin. My worry is that I don't know how much Arizona is actually going to score this year because he was their leading scorer last year. And what do you end up with? 47 points or something like that. Malkin, when he plays, is probably going to be awesome. Would you do that trade? One year league, which I know because I'm in the same league, one Mm -hmm. of two we are in together. I would think long and hard about it. I will admit I've already sold on some Coyotes because I too am scared that they won't score that much yep. maybe we should just be putting stock in the fact they have a 1.5 team shooting percentage right now and yep. uh, maybe they're about to start filling the net but for one year yes i think i would have actually pulled the trigger on that it. and said because they're going to be extra cautious with malkin i would assume although it's not like pittsburgh's playoff spot is assured at this point i was going to yep. say they just want to make sure he's healthy for the playoffs but could keller put up more points in 80 games than Malkin puts up in 61. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. Is he going to put up 60 points? Malkin could be a point of game player easily. It's true. That's the problem. I think I even said to Luke Fox when we had him on here, I saw in his Sportsnet predictions that he picked Malkin for the heart. And I was like, oh, I yeah. was instantly jealous of that pick. I was like, that's a yeah. great idea. And then yeah. boom, he's hurt. He's hurt. You know, not, gonna happen. Sort, not the story of his career, but one of the subplots of his career. Here's the extra factor in that trade offer. I know the person offering it, Sonny, is a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Oh, is it So Sonny? maybe I can squeeze a little bit more out of this because... He's got that fan drive. That's true. <laughs> That's how you work it in the fantasy league, right? I hope he's not listening. You gotta, you gotta play on the the weak, uh, the weak heart, the devoted heart <laughs> of lunatic fans. Well, we will see, man. And definitely not a great, uh, great development for the Penguins off the hop because you're All right. My fantasy fa- teams, <laughs> Rory's <laughs> fantasy teams. Well, thanks to Mark Spector for joining us today. 
He will be back before too long, I'm sure. Great friend of the Tape to Tape podcast. Make sure you check out Sportsnet's YouTube channel so you can see the video we did with Mark, who was located in, uh, as he said, the now not so bad uh, Nassau Coliseum. Definitely, I should say, great place to to watch a game. I mean, it was one of those, it was rough around the edges when I was there, but, uh, but a good vibe. Make sure you're coming to sportsnet.ca for all our hockey content to say nothing else of the October baseball we've got going on right now and the Raptors getting fired up. You can follow Rory on Twitter at Rory Boylan, myself at Dixon on sports and come back next week for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape. Tape to tape.